0: First Timothy chapter four, God's word says this. Until I come, this is Paul writing to Timothy. Until I get there, devote yourself. Somebody say devote yourself. Devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Until I come, devote yourself to public reading of scripture, to exhortation, some translations say to preaching and to teaching. You wonder what's the difference between preaching and teaching its volume. It's how loud it gets. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Don't neglect it. Practice, immerse. Keep a close watch. Persist, for by doing these things, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Father, My prayer today, Lord, is this is a unique message that you, I believe you've given me for our church, for our community, and my prayer today is that you would help me communicate in a way that would help people open their minds up to the truth and the validity of Scripture and to the spiritual supernatural act of going to the Word of God and hearing the Word of God. Lord, help us today to hear your Word and to apply your Word to our hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen. You can be seated. 1 Timothy chapter 4, it's the the first letter that we have record of, of the Apostle Paul writing to his spiritual son Timothy, who was a young pastor. And Paul is writing to his, his spiritual son Timothy, giving him the tips of the trade, so to speak, for how to pastor a church, for how to lead people in the in in their walk with the Lord. You know, a pastor is the word pastor is actually a Greek word and the word pastor simply means shepherd. And so a shepherd is someone who leads the flock to the cool waters and the green grass and protects and fights off the wolves and all of that. kind. That's what a shepherd does. Right. A shepherd's not really a real cushy job. A shepherd's not always an enjoyable job. Being a shepherd is not always a respectable job. And sometimes it's a dirty job and it's a messy job being a shepherd. But God calls people to be shepherds, not just of sheep, but to be shepherds of people leading them in their discipleship journey As followers of Jesus. And so uh, Paul knows it's not always an easy job. And he knows that it's not always a a, um, glamorous job. And he knows that it's not always an easy job. So he writes his spiritual son Timothy and says let me show you and teach you a few things that I have learned. And that I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you Timothy to help you be successful in your ministry as a young pastor. And so I can identify a lot with Timothy. I can identify a lot with someone that says, I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, Almost four years ago, uh, you all uh, voted us in to be your pastors. And our presbyter, our elder that held that meeting, Brother Josh Beers, he called me after the meeting and said there were 13 people at the meeting and 13 people voted unanimously to bring you in and and Katie in as the pastors of Believers Fellowship. And I said, wow, that's wonderful. Thank you very much. And I hung up the phone and I turned to Katie and I said, there's 13 idiots in Belleville that think we're their pastors. (laughs) I said that literally when I hung up the phone. I have, you know, I mean, we just it was just all this was our first church that we had pastored. We'd grown up in church. we had been in ministry, but we had never been the pastors. And so y'all took a risk on us. You know, I, I get that and I appreciate it, and I thank you for that, and uh, hopefully, you know, the risk paid off. I hope it did, but but I can identify with Timothy when, you know, my first six months, I'd never seen a church budget before. Didn't know what to do with it. Didn't know how to deal with it. I had never done a hospital visit before I came here. I didn't tell you all that, so you didn't, you know, (laughs) I didn't tell you all the weaknesses. I just told you the strengths when I was here, but um, I had never done any of that before. And honestly, I had never preached every Sunday in a church before. i had preached to I'd preached to a bunch of teenage delinquents. That was my congregation for for 7 years before I came here. So, um you know that. And I know that my preaching maybe hopefully it's gotten better over the years. I don't know, but but uh hopefully it's something that's been relatable to but I can just when I read 1 Timothy, man, I wish I had the apostle Paul that was here Right now, speaking to me, but then, I, you know, oh, I do. <laughs> That's what I've got right here is, is some wisdom from the Apostle Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And he says, if you're a young pastor, this is the letter for you. And one of the most important things that he says to Timothy is devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. The title of my message this morning, and this is unique, is my title is, How to Hear a Sermon. How to Hear a Sermon. And so what I want to communicate to you is I know that Timothy, Paul was writing to the pastor in this text, but I want to translate what he's writing to the pastor and communicate it to the sheep, to the flock, and say how does this apply to you and how can you hear the sermon in the best way? How can you hear the Word of God in the best way that it can bring transformation and change and hope and salvation and deliverance in your life? So I want to take it from the pastor pastor, to the people, what is Paul saying about listening to the Word of God preached and taught in God's house? That's what the goal of my message is today, is to get into what God is really saying through this passage of Scripture. Now, the public reading of Scripture is a big deal. There is a reason why I ask you every week before I start preaching to stand, and I, I will read the passage of Scripture to you out loud, because I believe we should listen to the Bible. And the Bible says, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Now there's a lot of pastors out there, maybe this is right, maybe it's wrong, I'm not bashing them or anything, but you're 20 minutes into their sermon before you've heard a passage of Scripture read. You're pretty far into it and they've... they've spouted all their ideas and all of their thoughts and all their concepts before they even crack the Bible open. I don't believe in that because I want to make sure that everything I say after I read this lines up with this, right? And so so he says devote yourself to the public reading of scripture because for Paul it's a big deal. And it's a big deal because Paul's heritage says that reading scripture publicly is a big deal. Paul is a Jewish man who has come to faith in Jesus. Paul says I was a Jew and I was was a member of the strictest sect of Jews called the Pharisees. They were the ones that took the Scripture most seriously. They were the Bible thumpers of their day. They were the fightin' fundies, Bible-thumpin', bible uh, waving evangelical church of their day was the Pharisees. And he says the Bible is a big deal. And the reason it's a big deal goes all the way back into the early days of God's people, the nation of Israel. If you go back and read the book of Exodus God leads the people out of Israel out of Egypt sets them free from slavery Moses is leading them they wander through the the wilderness for 40 years they've been and the whole time God is downloading to Moses these laws and these words and these the these scriptures that Moses is writing down on tablets of stone and he's keeping record of everything that God is speaking to them and then just before Moses dies and when the 40 years of spending time in the wilderness is up there's standing on the mountain, looking over the river to the promised land. And Moses says, before I die and before you cross over into the promised land, I'm going to read you everything God has said. And he says, because I don't want you to get into God's promises and forget God's word. And so Moses reads the whole thing. And he gets all the people together and he says, y'all just get a snack and you get comfortable because we're going to read every word that God has spoken to us on this journey because the temptation is going to be when you cross that river and get into the promises of God, you're going to forget how you got there. And so I want to make sure you understand and you remember just exactly how you got where you are. We're going to read everything that God has said. And then sure enough, what happened? After they had gotten into the promised land, generation after generation, they got comfortable. They started thinking, oh, we've got it together. We're living in the land that flows with milk and honey. We've got everything we need. We've got these beautiful houses. We've got beautiful farms. And they started neglecting the word of God to the point where they completely lost the Bible. Do you know that? They completely lost it. They had no idea where it was. They had no idea where the scriptures were. They weren't reading the scriptures. They were were still going to the temple. They were offering their sacrifices. They were doing the things they were supposed to do. But they didn't know why because they lost the book. And then you get to a man named King Josiah in the Old Testament. And Josiah decides to do some spring cleaning. This is real, this is in your Bible. Josiah, the king, decides to do some spring cleaning. So he's got men, the priests, that are cleaning out the temple. They're just clean, You know, they've been there for hundreds of years. There's all kinds of junk. Pastor Katie just cleaned out this room this past week. We've, we cleaned it maybe six months ago and got everything out of there and, and got rid of things that we weren't using anymore. So this week it, she on spring break, she did some spring cleaning in there and got everything out. I had a whole truckload full of just garbage that came out of there. Imagine hundreds of years in a church. And so they're cleaning everything out. And while they're cleaning it out, the priests say, hey, we found the scroll. They hadn't had it. This happened in your Bible. They hadn't had the word of God. And so they they come running to the king and they say, hey, we found the Bible. (laughs) It was in the church. (laughs) We found it. And Josiah says, that's amazing. Read it. And he calls the whole nation together to the temple and they read the word of God publicly for everyone to hear. And guess what? Revival breaks out. Revival breaks out. They say, wait a minute, we've been doing some things wrong. We've developed all these, uh, these idols that we've been worshiping and we've built all these false gods. We've got to tear all this down. We've got to get rid of all of it because the Word of God says we only serve one true God and we have drifted from what God has said because we stopped reading the Scriptures. So for a while, they get it all together. They're doing good. They cut down all the Asherah poles and they cut down and t- tear down all the false gods and all the false temples and all of that. And they start living for God and they, they stop marrying women that, that don't b- worship God and they stop, they stop intermarrying with pagans. They stop pagan practices. They start obeying the law and God blesses them. <laughs> Amazing. You do what God says, He'll bless you. Amazing. And so they, they do all of that. But then after a while, they get comfortable. Oh, God's blessed us. Look at all this money we've got. Look at these beautiful houses we've got. Look at these beautiful vineyards that we've got. Look at that beautiful temple we've got there. And they they start uh, getting comfortable again. And they lose the Bible again. Yeah, they do. They stop reading it and they lose it. They forget where they put it. I bet you right now you've got a dusty Bible somewhere in your house that you've just completely forgotten about. It's, so don't judge them, okay? Because we all do it. They do it again. And for generations, they go they go through the rituals. Hear me. They go through the motions. There's still the temple. There's still the priests. There's still all of the things that you do. But there's no word. There's no truth behind it. There's no foundation for it. It's just we do this because we've always done it. We don't know why. It's just what we do. Generations later, guess what? They're doing some spring cleaning. And a man named Ezra is cleaning and, and spending time in God's temple. And he finds the Bible. He finds the Bible and he runs to the people And he opens the scroll and he starts to read. Guess what? Revival breaks out. Oh, we've been doing it all wrong. We've compromised. We've started worshiping false gods. We've been starting worshiping the material possessions we have. We have neglected our first love. We've got to get back to the basics of the Bible. So they go back and they repent and they stop doing the things they were doing and they start living for God. Guess what? God blesses them. Are you seeing the pattern? Don't judge him, because you and I do the same thing. When's the last time you read your Bible? <gasps> Hopefully this morning, last week, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. What, it's the only Bible you get when I read it to you on Sundays. Because there's a lot you can forget between Sundays. But if you start reading it, guess what? Revival will happen. God will start to bless you if you start doing it. And so Ezra reignites this, this passion for, for the Bible. And eventually, eventually, people like groups like the Pharisees and the Sadducees show up by Jesus' day. And they take the Bible seriously. But even then, you get to them where they, they're, they know the word, but they apply it in these really strange ways. And it's almost like they know the Word, but they're looking for ways to get around the Word. When you, when you read in the Scripture where, how the Pharisees and the Sadducees uh, interact with Jesus, and they're saying things, and, and they're like, well, we know the Word says this, but what about this? And, and you know they're like lawyers, and they're just looking for a way to skirt the law a little bit. And they're looking for a way. And so even though they've been reading the Scripture, and they've developed the synagogue system where they're going to the synagogue every week for the public reading of Scripture, there's this kind of we're reading it but we're not really getting it. You know that whole thing we know the letter of the law but we're not living by the spirit of the law. That's kind of what's going on. So Paul when he's writing Timothy, he knows all of this. He knows the history of God's people that they can tend if left on their own to forget God's word. He knows that they can tend to neglect God's word. He knows that they can tend to just get stuck in the groove of go to church every Sunday. They can just get stuck in the groove of, I know when the key changes during the worship song, that's when we're supposed to get excited and lift our hands and clap our, and clap our hands. And, and I know when they say, you know, we're supposed to pray, I know we're supposed to, but, but it just becomes a ritual. And it just becomes what we do. And it becomes second nature so much so that I don't need the Bible because they put it on the screen. I don't, I don't need the Bible because I listen to worship music. And so that replaces my Bible reading time. And we get into these rituals and we get into this pattern. And so Paul says, listen, you're going to be tempted as a pastor and your church is going to be tempted as young believers to think, I already know it all. I've already got it figured out. I don't need the book. I can just do the thing. And he says, but listen, if you want to be a success, You've got to devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to the preaching and the teaching of God's Word. See, back then, most of them were, didn't, weren't, didn't have an education where they could read, and, and they didn't have the Bible printed like we have it today. And so they met daily together. They met daily together to read the Word of God together and to have someone read it to them and teach them and explain it. You have it in your pocket. Let me ask you, have you met daily with it? Have you, are you spending time with it? Because if, if you are, revival comes. God blesses you when you read it and apply it in your life. So Paul is writing, Timothy says, there's a long history of God's people neglecting God's word. If you want to be a success, make sure you don't fall into the same trap. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to preaching, and to teaching. Don't neglect it. Devote yourself. Be disciplined in your mind when the Scripture is being read and preached and taught. You've got to discipline yourself to hear And to pay attention and to focus on what God is saying. Not just in here when I'm preaching to you, but when you're spending time in the Word on your own, which you should be doing every day. That you are disciplining yourself. And discipline, we don't like the word discipline. That's a bad word in our culture, in our time. But listen, everybody's disciplined in something. Some of us were real disciplined at posting on Instagram. We're real disciplined at Snapchat. We're real disciplined at watching Judge Judy every afternoon at 5 o'clock. We're real disciplined at brushing our teeth. I'm real disciplined making sure I get three meals a day. All of us are disciplined, and discipline's not a bad word. Discipline's a good word. You need discipline. And one of the greatest disciplines you can ever have is to discipline your mind, not only to pick up the Word of God every day, not only to be in church every, every week to hear the Word of God, but to concentrate and focus and devote yourself to what is being spoken and what you're reading. And you, not only are we disciplined in our mind, but we've got to be prepared in our heart. We've got to come to the Word of God thinking everything that I think is on the table for a moment. Everything I know, everything I believe is on the table because I don't want to be shaped by my culture. I don't want to be shaped by what media tells me. I don't want to be shaped by what peer pressure tells me. Everything gets laid on the table because I want this book and this book alone to shape my heart, my mind, my worldview, how I see things. John Wesley said, I want to be a man of one book. No matter what the price, give me that book. I want my heart to be prepared prepared to if I'm wrong that this book will correct me and I'll let it correct me. If I'm right, this book will affirm me and encourage me. If I need hope, this book will pour out hope and blessings on my life. This is I've got to be prepared in my heart. If you come in here with a chip on your shoulder and you come in here with a closed mind and closed heart to the word of God, I don't care if you got the best TV preacher in here. You're not going to receive what God has for you if your heart's closed off to what God has for you. Be disciplined in your mind, prepared in your heart. Here's another one. Devote yourself. Eliminate distractions. Eliminate distractions. Now this one's going to be touchy for just a moment. Just put your toes under your chair for just a second. It's important that we do whatever we can and I know we have children in, the, in our congregation that's saying here. And I, I know things happen. I'm not getting on to any of that. I can handle a cry. I'd rather a crying baby be here than the parents not be here. Okay, that, that's not what I'm talking about. We'll deal with that and we'll help people however they need help to make sure they can enjoy church and be in the moment. That's what I'm talking about. But there are other distractions that go on. Let me tell you this one, technology. Want you to, I, we need to be careful about this because every week I tell you, you can open your app and you can go... And, and follow along, and you can got your Bible app on there, and you've got the Believer's Fellowship app, you can follow along with the notes, all that kind of thing. If you can't handle that, go get you a notebook. Because I know, if I pick up this phone, someone's going to text me, some notification's going to come through, oh, I need to check the weather, oh, I wonder what's in the headlines of the news that day. I see some of y'all, I see, you, you realize I can see you from up here, right? <laughs> I can see you from up here, and I know you ain't taking notes on your phone, all right? (laughs) But listen, (laughs) listen, all right, so we got a guilty conscience over here a little bit. Listen, I know I'm just joking about it, but I am serious too. Eliminate distractions. If technology is too much of a distraction for you that you're not hearing the Word of God, go get you a pen and paper, and believe it or not, they still print Bibles, And if you can't afford one, we've got some here you can have for free. And we'll make sure that you have everything you need so that we can eliminate the... the, I want you to tweet me. I want you to share on Facebook about church. I want you to share with people what you heard from from the Word of God this morning. But here's the thing. Write a note about it and then tweet it after. Because I don't want you... Write a note about it and post it out. I want you to go post and tell people about church. And if you find a good quote or a good scripture or a song that you like during church that you want to share with other people, please do. But don't let it become a distraction where you're so worried about what they're hearing that you forget to hear for yourself what God is speaking. You got to be careful about what that technology is allowing in when you're trying to eliminate distractions and discipline your mind and be devoted to the word of God that's being read and taught and preached. Listen, here's another one. Sit next to your buddy might be a problem when you're trying to eliminate distractions. Friends and friends and family. There, there are certain people, if I go somewhere and I have to pay attention, I can't sit next to you because I'm going to find something to joke about. I'm going to talk about what sister so-and-so is wearing. I'm going to talk about, well, I can't believe they decided to show up. Look at when they came in. Can you believe? I, there are certain people, I cannot sit next to you if I'm trying to pay attention to something. And you know who your people are. And so I want to encourage you. There's empty seats. Go find you an empty seat and say, hey, I love you. We'll go have lunch together but God is speaking to me right now. God's word is going forth and I want to give reverence and honor to God's word. So if you're distracting me or I'm distracting you, we're not going to get to fully receive what God has. Come on. Visual distractions. This is a great one. I, we, we told some of our team this morning, said, hey, we've had a lot of guests coming in recently and things, and so can you come sit toward, fill up the first two rows first so that when guests come in, they can have a comfortable seat that they're comfortable with? But guess what? Sometimes there's, there's more than just because I'm the pastor that I sit on the front row. If I sit on the back row, I'm looking at your hair, I'm looking at what you got on, I'm looking at what you're doing over there, and I am totally visually distracted. So if you can't handle that, you sit on the front row. I won't spit on you, I won't bite you, I promise. It'll be good. But eliminating those distractions. If you remember in the Gospels, Jesus goes to the house of his friends Mary and Martha. Y'all remember? Remember the story? And so Jesus is sitting in the common room, in the common area after the meal, and, and, or, or before the meal, excuse me, and he's sitting there and he starts preaching. He starts teaching. And in, the, in that day in culture, the preacher would sit and everyone would sit at his feet around him. And so he would sit there and and he started preaching and Martha gets frustrated because Mary won't come help her cook the food because Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. So Martha's not doing anything wrong. I want to hear that. Every church needs some Marthas. Every church needs somebody that's gonna wash the dishes, gonna make food sure the food stays warm, it's gonna make sure the doors get locked, gonna make sure there's enough toilet paper in the in the bathroom. We need some Marthas. If you're a Martha, come see me. I got some work for you to do. But listen. She had allowed those things to become a distraction when literally God in the flesh was sitting in her living room speaking the words of life that could change her life and so many others' lives. And she's mad at Mary because Mary won't come engage in the distractions. And Jesus says, you've neglected the most important thing, Martha. Don't allow those things to distract you from the Word that's coming to you right now. And so I'm not getting on to anybody. I'm saying the Bible says devote yourself to what God's Word has for you. The dishes can wait. The weather can wait. The text message can wait. God is speaking through His Word. Receive it. Eliminate distractions. Y'all still love me? Devote yourself. I want to say this. Participate in the moment. Paul says it this way, practice this. He tells "Well, practice these things. If you practice these things, if you participate in these things, he says, people will see your progress. I want to encourage you that church is not a spectator sport. There is nobody sitting on the sidelines here. There's no bench riders in church world. There are, there, there's no cheerleaders on the sidelines just, just watching. There, this is not a spectator sport church requires full participation. And the only way that the spoken word and the preached word works in here on Sunday morning is if we are all fully participating in what's happening. If you leave sometimes from church and you look to your wife or you look to your husband or you look to your mom and dad and you say things like, well, I didn't get anything out of it today. I didn't get much out of that today. Well, my question is, well, what did you give into it today? Did you give your full attention? Did you give your full worship? Did you open your heart and prepare your heart to receive from God's Word? Were you fully participating? Because you're right. If you're sitting back here and you're scrolling Twitter, got an HBO Max ad. Let's see, ABC ad, there's a TV show coming on tonight. Uh, hmm. Stuff about Ukraine, you know, that's everywhere right now. Pray for them. A couple of pastors on there. I don't know why they're on Twitter when they're supposed to be preaching this morning. You won't get anything out of it. You won't get anything out of it. It requires participation. And ultimately, I'll just tell you this, it's not really about you anyway. Not whether you got anything out of it, did he get anything out of it. But hopefully, if you give him everything, it's going to fall on you too. and He's going to be here. Participating in the moment. I want to say this about participating. Follow along in your Bible. Get your notes out. Get a notebook out. Open your Bible. Bring your paper Bible to church. It won't kill you to carry it. It'll be good for you to learn how to read the Bible. Get get in there. Follow along. Get you a notebook. Take notes. Spend time. Write it down. Go back and look at it. And I'll tell you this. Verbal responses are good. I'm a preacher that likes that. I love when Susan's here because I always know I'm going to get an amen from Susan when she's here. You know, and you don't have to just say amen Preach it, brother. Come on. Say that. Say it again. <laughs> Whatever it is. But there is something. I know that we it's kind of a cultural thing that we do talking back to the preacher. And I get that. But listen, when I hear you talking back, I know you're listening. I, when I hear you, I know you're tracking with me. I know we're on the same page. I know I've got you where we're hearing the word of God. And it's like a verbal response saying, God, I've heard what you have said, and I'm responding to what you have said when you give that feedback. And so I'm not saying you have to. Maybe that's not your personality or whatever, but you can do it. It'd be OK. You know, thank you. Amen. And it's it's saying, you know, even when you say amen, that means, yes, Lord, let it be. So when you hear the Word of God spoken to you and something that applies to you and strikes you and it's what you need, amen, yes, I need it, let it be. Speak that over me, I receive that. And so when you do that, there's this thing and it becomes participatory then. And you're not waiting for just the next knowledge nugget, but you're savoring every moment of what God is speaking into your life. Participating in the moment means responding in the moment, but also it means responding at the altar time. Every Sunday, we have a time where you get to respond. The Word of God says, Jesus said this be hearers of the Word and not, just, or excuse me, be doers of the Word and not just hearers of the Word. Every time, I believe this, when God's Word goes forth, there ought to be a response. I believe there ought to be every time there's a gift of the Spirit that's manifested in our church, every time there's a prophetic word, and every time there's a preached word, I believe we ought to give people the opportunity to respond to what God has spoken. And so that's why we do altar time. And you say, well, I don't know if I really qualify. You know, I don't know if I really needed to respond today. I don't know if I really needed to come to the altar. Maybe someone else did. My little issue is not big enough. You know, my, my, my little Issue might merit a little hand raise when pastor asked for us to raise our hands. But stepping out, I just don't know about that because maybe maybe someone else needs to. No, listen, all of us are supposed to respond to the altar. Nobody's going to judge you for responding. Nobody's going to say, man, she goes up every week. I wish somebody would come up every week. Man, they go up every week. They've always got a problem going on. Guess what? You do, too. You're just not willing to admit it. And so to respond to what God has spoken to you, if there is something that happens on a Sunday morning in this place, whether it's during the worship, whether it's during the prayer time, whether it's a prophetic word, whether it's one of the gifts of the spirit, whether it's the preach word, if it spoke to you, you respond. You find a way to say, I'm not letting this word get past me. I'm grabbing onto it. I'm responding to it. I'm walking on this word that God has spoken. Respond in the altar. I promise you, you'll never come alone. And I promise you, you will never be judged and you will never be embarrassed. It will always be worth it when you respond to God's Word. Devote yourself to the preaching of God's Word, the public reading of Scripture and the teaching. And then it's interesting. He says this. Would you go, I'm going off notes. Would you go back to the Scripture? 1 Timothy chapter 4 he says devote yourself i got to find it too devote yourself until i come again devote yourself to the preaching the public reading of scripture to exhortation to teaching do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you now what paul is speaking to Timothy pastor Timothy at the moment is that when The elders of the church recognized that you had a call on your life for ministry. That you had a call on your life for leadership in God's church. They laid hands on you. They prayed for you. They prophesied over you. And in that moment, a gift was transferred to you. A gift of the Spirit. A prophetic gift that would give you the ability to not only read the Word of God, but teach the Word of God. There would be an anointing on Timothy to receive what God is speaking to God's people and to communicate that to the church. Have you ever been in church and you thought, how did the preacher know that happened this week? How did the preacher know that I needed to hear that work? Was he reading my mail? Did he tap my phones and know exactly what? Have you ever been in that kind of situation? I can't completely explain it, and I'm I'm not a prophet. I'm not claiming to be a prophet or a son of the prophet. But there is something about when the pastor of a house has the anointing of God on his life, or her life, that God has this unique ability to give the pastor the word the church needs that week. I can't explain it. I don't know. Sometimes I have no idea. I, and some of it you probably never tell me, but there are times where, man, that was the word I needed. Pastor Seth. Well, I just was reading the Bible this week, and that's what I felt like the Lord would have me to preach. I'm glad it blessed you. I'm glad it worked for you. But there is a gift that is on the anointed preaching of God's word, that where the Holy Spirit comes alongside the work of the uh, uh, or the words of Scripture, and when the Scripture and the Spirit meet miraculous supernatural things take place because the word and the scriptures always work together the word and the and, and the spirit excuse me always work together the word is inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Bible is inspired and written with the Holy Spirit as His author. So when the Bible is spoken, when the Bible is read, when the Bible is preached and when it's taught, there is a Holy Spirit anointing on it. See, Christian preaching is more than just the transfer of knowledge. It is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. There is something happening in the atmosphere when spirit filled believers come together and the Holy Spirit is welcome in the house and the Holy Spirit and and the people's hearts are open to the work of the Holy Spirit, He comes and He attaches Himself to the Word that is read, to the Word that is preached, to the Word that is taught. And so now it is no longer ink on a page, it's power. Now no longer is it ink on a page, it's life. Now no longer is it ink on a page, it's transformation, it's deliverance. When God's Word is spoken and taught, there is more than just information that's being communicated. There's special activity of the Holy Spirit when you're hearing the Word of God. John 6, verse 63, Jesus said, The words that I speak to you are spirit and life. So when Jesus speaks, it's not just a word. It's not just information entering your ear and being translated into brainwaves. There is a spiritual supernatural act happening when you hear the word of God spoken and taught. The Spirit of God and the Word of God always work together. That's why in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, Paul says, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. How does the Spirit get things done? The Word. How does the Spirit do battle on your behalf? word why should you know scripture so that you can pull out your sword at any moment when the enemy comes to attack you why should you start memorizing the word of God and learn a few verses of scripture that you can remember and keep in your heart so that even if you don't have a book or you don't have a phone when the enemy comes you still got your sword in your pocket and you can say devil I know God's word over my life and I know what he has spoken and whatever lie you're trying to speak to me whatever doubt you're trying to bring into my life I've got my sword ready To fight, he says, verse 16, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. Some translations say to ponder over the words, ponder over these things so that all may see your progress. So he's saying it's a given if you will practice devoting yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and teaching, you will see progress in your life and in your walk. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Practice, ponder, and persist. Practice these things. Practice devoting yourself to reading the Bible, to teaching, and to preaching. Eliminating distractions. Disciplining your mind. Preparing your heart. Participating in the moment. Because you're not just receiving any information anymore. You're participating in an act of the Holy Spirit that's taking place when you're hearing the Word of God. He says, practice these things. Then go home and ponder them. So take your notes and get your Bible and remember what you read. So after you hear it preached from here... Go back home and preach it to yourself. Reread the Scripture. Reread your notes. Get it into your system. Maybe memorize one of the passages that was read. Uh, maybe do some of your own research and study and read the context and, 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 and delve into it deeper. Ponder it. Immerse yourself in it. So you can't just splash around in the Scripture every now and then. He says you've got to immerse yourself in it. You've got to get it all over you. You can't go out to a mud hole and jump in and say, I went swimming today. you got to go jump in somewhere. you got to get saturated. You've got to immerse yourself, and that's when the refreshing takes place. And so he says, practice, ponder, or immerse yourself, and persist. Don't give up. You say, well, when I read the Bible, I don't really understand it. Just keep reading it. I don't understand everything I read in the Bible. And I went to school for a long time. It's okay. Just keep reading it. Just keep reading it until something speaks to you. Persist in it. Persist in the habit of coming to church. If you have to miss because of work, listen online. Whatever it takes, but persist. And he says, practice, ponder, persist, and people will see your progress. You'll grow. You'll get stronger in your faith. Can I tell you, if you came in here this morning and you say, I'm feeling weak in my faith, I'm feeling weak in my walk with the Lord, I'm feeling weak in the battle against temptation to sin, I'm feeling, I'm fe-. listen, I'm, my first question to you is always going to be as a pastor, have you been reading your Bible and praying? And almost always, no, I haven't, Pastor. I really haven't been disciplined in that. Well, I think we found the problem. When, if, if all you get It's just a little bit of Bible I read to you, which public reading of Scripture, we devote ourselves to it, we believe in it, but if that's all you get, imagine eating only once a week. Are you persisting in it? If you practice these things, ponder, immerse yourself in the Word of God and persist in it, people will see your progress. And then watch this. He says, and you'll save yourself And your hearers the Word of God when it is read when it's preached when it's taught when it's read again when it's pondered over when we persist in it when we immerse ourselves in it the Word of God becomes a rescue tube for wherever we are in life it becomes the thing when we're drowning that we can reach out and grab and say, I'm not going down. It becomes the thing that we can reach on to and say, I know I might be in a battle and I know I might be up to here in it, but I'm not going under because God's word, when it's attached with God's spirit, when it's read, when it's preached, when it's pondered, when we persist in it, when we practice what it says, it becomes the rescue to the rescue ring, the buoy that we can grab onto and say, I'm not drowning, I'm getting out of this thing alive. And so what we need to do when we're struggling is not say, oh, I'm struggling, and just whine about it. Because we do that, don't we? I do it. I'm whining about it. I've got to run to where I know there's rescue. I've got to go to where I know I can never go down. I I was a lifeguard for a couple of years, believe it or not. I don't have the body of a lifeguard, but I was a lifeguard because we had to do it at Teen Challenge, and we went on these camping trips, and we did a lot of swimming and boating and that kind of thing, so we had to be a lifeguard. So I did the training. It was good for two years. It almost killed me. I almost died in the training. We got a lifeguard instructor in here. I seriously almost drowned because you have to swim. What's the length? 300 300 football fields without stopping. Swimming. And this is after the week of hell they put you through to get ready for it. And you're exhausted afterwards. And it was was hard. It was tough. But the one thing that I remember, I'm no longer certified because I didn't want to go through that again. Uh, One thing I remember is they told us, if you're a lifeguard, you always have one of these things on your body. Attached to you. Where it doesn't matter. You have to have it attached to your body at all times as a lifeguard. No option. It was in some places, the, the instructor I had said, it was a fireable offense. If you were a lifeguard, but you, you say, I got to go to the restroom or I got to, you know, whatever. Or if, if you're on duty, you have to have that thing attached to you. Because get... I don't care how strong, how heavy, how, how big the person is that you're trying to rescue. They can't pull that thing underwater. They can't go down if that's attached to them. That is your lifeline. That is your source. That is the thing that keeps you above water. And so you have to keep it attached to you. And the Word of God, when you persist in it, when you immerse yourself in it, when you pay attention, when you eliminate distractions, when you participate in it, when it's preached, when it's read, when you read it on a daily basis, you can't go down. The enemy can't take you down. The floods of life can't take you down because you've got a rescue tube. And no matter what tries to pull at you, No matter what tries to tug at you, no matter what tries to drown you, no matter what tries to kill you, you've got his word. Paul is at the end of his life, toward the end of his life, and he's arrested by the Roman government for treason, for preaching that Jesus is king, because if Jesus is king, Caesar isn't. And so they didn't like when people, Christians, went around preaching that there was another king. So he was arrested and because he was a Roman citizen at that time, a Roman citizen at any time during the criminal prosecution process could appeal to make his case to the emperor himself. So if you read the book of Acts, Paul is being really clever here because every time Paul gets arrested and goes before a government official to plead his case, he preaches the gospel and tells him about Jesus and so he does this several times, and eventually he says, I want to make my case to the emperor. Paul's got his sights on getting the Roman emperor saved. And he's, he's been praying about it. And God has told him, you are going to go to Rome. You're going to get to Rome. You're going to be stand before the emperor. God's given him this word. So, when Paul is arrested, he is constantly... Uh, guarded by a Roman soldier. And the Roman soldier has to put Paul on a boat from the geographical location of Israel, and they have to sail to Rome through the Mediterranean Sea. And Paul knows, God's given me a word, I'm going to Rome. A storm comes during their journey. The Bible calls it a nor'easter. It's this type of storm that comes in the Mediterranean that's almost like a hurricane. Just this huge storm. And they're in a first century wooden boat in the middle of the ocean. And the the boat starts taking on water. And there starts to get cracks in in the boat. And the, the, the experienced sailors that have been doing this their whole life, they're panicking. They're throwing stuff overboard to get weight off of the boat so that the boat doesn't go down. They're uh, They're actually taking ropes and wrapping ropes. It's called frapping. They're wrapping ropes around the entire boat. They're they're dropping them in the water and fishing them out the other side and wrapping them together so that hopefully these ropes will hold the the boat together in the storm because it's falling apart. Paul's in the bottom of the ship in the storm. Cool as a cucumber. Totally fine. There's people that are jumping off the ship. They'd rather just drown under their own terms than go down with the boat. Paul is cool as a cucumber. And he actually says, I prayed about it, and an angel came and met me in the hull of the ship and said, Paul, you're going to Rome. You're going to Rome. God sent his word to Paul in a literal storm. And he, Paul comes up out of the bottom of that ship, and everybody's panicking. People are going crazy. They're trying to throw people off the boat. They're just going. You can imagine the chaos. And Paul says, Hey, y'all, listen up. He says, I got a word from God. And that word is our rescue. And God has said, the ship might go down, but there will no, be no loss of life among you. He says, if you'll just listen to the word of God, he said, the whole world might fall apart all around you, but you're going to make it to dry ground because I'm going to Rome. So the ship completely falls apart. They're holding on to pieces of wood, their rescue tubes, and they all make it to shore safe because Paul got a word. I'm going to Rome. The word of God is your rescue in the middle of a storm everything around you might fall apart the ground beneath you might fall out from under you somebody might pull the rug out from under you things might come crashing down on you but if you can get a word from god you're not going down you can't go over for going you can't go under for going over because he's given you a word What happens here on Sundays is your rescue tube. What happens on Monday, whether if you're an early riser or a night owl and you crack this book open, it's your rescue tube. What happens on Tuesday when the boss has made you angry, you crack this book open, it's your rescue tube. What happens on Wednesday when your spouse made you angry? When you crack this book open, it's your rescue too. You can't go under because you're holding on. Would you stand with me this morning? Lord, I just believe the whole last 10 minutes of what I've said, I didn't even plan to say. I believe, Lord, Lord, that there is a word that you wanted to speak into someone's life today. I want to be devoted to the public reading of Scripture. I want to be devoted to the preached and taught word of God. I need a rescue tube. Lord, help me eliminate distractions that are keeping me not just from fully participating in what happens in a corporate setting like this, but the distractions that maybe keep me from a daily diet in the word of God. Lord, today I just believe I'm supposed to call people to a renewed devotion to scripture, to preaching and to teaching because it's our rescue too. Lord, I believe there's some this morning that they're like Paul. They're in the hull of a ship that is falling apart all around them. People around them are panicking and afraid. Lord, would you send your word right now to where they are in the storm? Sometimes, Lord, your word calms the storm, and other times your word calms us in the middle of the storm. But your word always brings peace. So Lord, I believe there's someone this morning that they just needed to remember, I've got a word from God so I can't go down. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to ask you this. If you would just join me, I'm going to be the first one. If you would say, I want to, I want to renew my devotion to the word of God. It's preached, read, spoken in my life. I want to renew my devotion this morning to God speaking to my life through his word. Would you just step out with me? Let's just spend some time around the altar. Let's just spend some time just soaking in and responding to the word of God. Like I said, I'm the first one. There is no no reason that anyone would judge you or, or think, why would you respond? Because listen, I need a word sometimes. Sometimes I just need to be rescued. Sometimes there's a storm around me and I just need the the power of the word of God to come in, reach down and pick me up. Would you just lift your hands to Jesus and say, Jesus, thank you for your word. Remember those promises that he's given you in the past. Remember those things that he's spoken to you in the deepest and darkest moments of your life. Remember when you were lost and you heard the word of God for the first time and you responded with faith, believing the word of God. Those are your rescue, your rescue tubes in this moment. They're, they're your anchor when the storm comes. They're the thing that keep you solid, and keep your head above water. I believe the Lord's renewing promises to some this morning where the enemy has caused you to doubt God's word or to doubt God's plan or doubt God's purpose for your life. Listen, the Bible says the devil is the father of lies. But Jesus said, I will give you and send you the Spirit who will lead you into all truth. And so right now I believe the Holy Spirit is leading you back into the truth of God's word and God's word says you're not going down and God's word says you're not going to lose this fight and God's word says the devil will not be victorious and God's word says that no weapon formed against you shall prosper and God's word says about you that you're the lender not the borrower that you're the head and not the tail you are above and not beneath you're blessed when you come in and you're blessed when you go out though God's word says over you you are the apple of his eye that you are fearfully and wonderfully made that I know the plans I have for you saith God and plans to prosper you and give you a hope and give you a future and so the lies of the enemy they are lies and they're cheap lies at that but the Holy Spirit is here this morning to lead you back into the truth of God's word and what God has spoken about you and he has said your life was worth the blood of Jesus your life was worth the cross your life was worth me conquering death hell and the grave and so if I did all of that for you back then why would I stop fighting for you now you are here because I brought you here you made it this far because I wanted you to, and willed you to make it this far you've gotten over that past mountain and this next mountain is no match for my God This mat- this next mountain is no match for the power of the word of God. When God's word is spoken, demons tremble. When God's word is spoken, devils flee. When God's word is spoken, sickness has to leave. When God's word is spoken, fear has to go. When God's word is spoken, depression is replaced with joy. When God's word is spoken, anxiety is replaced with confidence. I'm saying over you right now, God's word makes a difference in your life. It's come to rescue you. And the Bible says His words never return void, His word never fails, His word never is weak, His word is always strong, His word always accomplishes what it set out to do. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning we receive it this morning and we say we stand on your word we build our house on the solid rock of your word God so when the winds come and the storms come we shall not be shaken we shall not be moved because God's word is a firm foundation hallelujah hallelujah Hallelujah! oh we devote ourselves to the word this morning We walk on the word this morning, God. We plant our feet on the word this morning. Your word is a sure foundation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just soak in his presence for just a moment. He's here. He's here. The spirit always comes alongside the word. When the word is spoken, the spirit comes. He's here. Just soak in his presence for just a moment. Don't, Don't miss the opportunity. To just be ministered to this morning by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, for your word this morning. Thank you, God, for your word that protects us in the storm. Thank you, Lord, for your word that reaches down and rescues us when we're drowning. Thank you, Lord, for your word that gives us a firm foundation to build a life on. I thank you, Jesus. We devote ourselves this morning to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and teaching. We devote ourselves to practice the and immerse ourselves in these things and persist in these things because, Lord, your word promised that we'll grow, we'll see progress, and we'll be saved, and those that hear us will be saved. And so, Lord, I thank you for that promise today. In Jesus' name. Everybody shouted, amen. Amen.